0: Welcome to The Third Space, a show where we strive to reclaim the vital realm between home and workplace, igniting transformative conversations in the pursuit of wisdom. I'm your host, Avi, and my guest today is Zach Gober. Zach is studying for his PhD in education. He served as chaplain in the Victoria Police, been a teacher at multiple schools across Melbourne, including assistant principal at Biala College, and he's also served as a sergeant in the Israeli Defense Force. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. I'm talk about the role of classical religion sure. in modern society. Sure. And I want to read to you a quote from the author David Foster Wallace, which I think is a really good launching pad for, for the question. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some inviolable set of ethical principles. Is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive? Mm. It seems quite clear to me that when you look at the world today, what, like, undoubtedly becoming far more secular. Although I did read uh, Dominion recently by Tom Holland, and he talks about the dichotomy of yeah. religious versus secular being a Western concept yeah. that, like, was inherited by Christianity, right. from Christianity. Yeah. Um, and that other cultures don't necessarily think about the world in those terms. But anyways, um, I think, uh, yeah, from the Enlightenment, we're becoming more secular. And um, I don't think that necessarily means that by dropping classical religions, that we're dropping religion entirely. I think um, humans still have a religious inclination and that a lot of modern um, political and social movements or ideologies still have some kind of uh, religious structure to them. Like, for example, um, environmentalism. Yeah. Um, environmentalism has a, a a concept of the sacred sure. nature. Yeah, um, they've got rituals every day. You recycle. You yeah. plant trees. They've got an ethical framework. Um, you know uh, all of the responsibilities and stewardship yeah. over the earth. Um, you could even argue they have like a a sense of the transcendent, which is sure. like through the action that we take, the sustainable action, we can actually safeguard the future yeah. for for. Um, our children and our grandchildren, so it seems to me that we still have a yearning for religion, yeah, specifically the aesthetics and the ritual, but maybe not the mythology or mm. the belief in a supernatural.
1: Do you agree with this assessment? I fundamentally do, yeah, um, and I think that you know one of the most poignant examples is that we have in recent human history. A number of societies who made the decision to be consciously and um, violently non-religious the mm. communist societies. Um, that was a key you know, element of, of, of most communist states that, that came into existence. There, literally, generally, there, were, there, were, there was violence against the, the existence of religion, or at least the influence of religion in, in any significant way. Um, and I think almost every single one of those societies ended up developing a, a religion, a religious, uh, worship of leadership, individual leaders that became quasi divine, um, and Marxism, Leninism, communism, being in the context, Maoism being gospel. Um, and so, you know, you, you end up having the same rituals, the same imagery, the same. And so I do believe that we are inherently spiritual beings and that the idea that we would act otherwise um, had its time a little bit, I think, again, and in, you know, maybe in, in the last few decades, there was this impression that we would, you know, as a, just as we would move to this liberal world order, we would move to a kind of more secular world order. Um, and that that would only be good, you know, that 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 everything negative in your ministry was a result of superstitions and, and 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 silliness and religion, which was the opium of the masses, and that if we could all just be rational beings, then everything would be great. Um, I, I think that hasn't played out. Um, I'm not getting any joy out of that, but I, I don't think that has played out. Um, and I do think that rather than um, becoming all these uber rational societies and people, we have societies that feel overwhelmed by an inherent sense of emptiness. And I think people, without mentioning religion, are constantly, from what I can observe, discussing this deep sense of angst and this deep sense of purposelessness that that pervades the society. Um, And I do think people find ways that are inherently religious in everything but terminology to find meaning, whether that's the environmental meaning or, or, or um, uh, various social causes that people adhere to and promote in a religious fashion. I think I, I can't see it any way other than that. Um, and listen, I, 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 do, I, I do identify myself as a religious person. I, I, I do believe that to be true. And I do believe that to be a positive component of my identity that I strive to be worthy of. Um, I don't shy away from that by any means. But I can certainly recognize that religions throughout history, throughout societies, have played destructive roles. Of course, they have. Um, And so, whilst I do have a genuine faith, I recognize that any belief system is as good as it is applied by the people who practice it. Um, And that almost every belief system, almost, there are certainly exceptions, can lead to um, great good and to great evil. Um, Even truths can be um, the impetus for great evil, you know, Um, and and maybe I'll give perhaps like a controversial example of that. Um, You know, the concerns about the environment I think are are very valid and I think that um, being interested in preserving um, a positive natural environment and a positive climate are obviously fundamentally inherently admirable that can certainly be applied in ways that i think are immoral so for example um, the developed world has gone through a process of development that was very energy intensive and has led with all of the problems that exist in developed societies to an incredible reduction of abject poverty. There are certainly plenty of people living in poverty and in some ways it's getting worse. Um, but we don't have... In, in We have issues of malnutrition. We don't have, for example, starvation throughout much of the developed world. And it's perhaps hard for us, again, without looking at history, to realise that frequent, whole-scale starvation was the norm for all of human history until very recently. Mm-hmm. That's a big change. Like that's that that that's that's maybe the most individual, most significant individual change in what it means to be alive as a human that's ever happened. That in a couple of generations we went from most people being at the risk of literally starving to death all of the time to that being rare. Mm-hmm. That's incredible, right? If we say that having an immediate absolute change in the environmental trajectory is the number one necessity at all costs at all costs that necessitates accepting that many people in the developing world will not have that same opportunity and again you might turn around and say well it's better that they don't develop and be alive than don't develop and be dead. Sure. Okay. let's lodged that, but a, have you asked them have, <laughs> they, have they, have they, have they participated in this conversation yeah. and B, will you swap places? Because if it is better, no problem. Leave your home in Melbourne, uh, move to, um, one of the most, um, underdeveloped countries in sub-Saharan Africa and swap places. And, and, and none of them are willing to do that, of course. And I'm not expecting them to do that. But what I'm saying is that, you know, you can't then say you have an untainted, unquestionable morality um, that has absolutely no nuance to it whatsoever um, as a product of your concern about the environment. Mm-hmm. Everything has consequences. And those consequences need to be considered. Um and the only logic I can give for somebody saying I won't even consider that line of thinking is that they are adhering to a religious dogma. Mm-hmm. And that dogma doesn't allow for nuance. Mm-hmm. That dogma doesn't allow for any broader consideration. Um, and again, I'm not saying that I have solutions to the environmental problem that I'm suggesting, but I'm just saying that, you know, every, every there, is, there is no moral... Um, Absoluteism. every everything has to be considered in, in, in for that's what I love about the Jewish tradition by the way specifically is a consistent understanding of nuance of a multiplicity of perspectives and of a fundamental premise on the worth of the human being you know that we we um, in Judaism it's throughout the, the Tanakh the Jewish Bible constant refrains that the God who requests um, sacrifices Rejects sacrifices when they are given by people who ignore the cries of the poor and unfortunate and, and God consistently throughout the, 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 the Prophets repeats a mantra saying like uh, yeah, I, to- I told you in the same way, but 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 second You know you you can't say I'm taking this and I'm going to give it to God If that means that this produce won't go to feed people who are starving. No, it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't work that way That dogma doesn't doesn't fly Um, And I think that anyone, whatever their worldview is, I I would suggest would be well served by having a similar perspective. So, you know, is the environment important? Absolutely. Like, you know, that is also a factor of life and death. Um, But every action has a a reaction and everything has a secondary impact. At least be open to that conversation. At least think that through. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You would say
0: that classical religion does still have a very important place in modern society in the same way that any uh modern movement does in the sense that it can be used it's a tool or a technology sure. you can consider that yeah. can be used for good or bad depending on the protect the practitioner yeah. themselves if you think about uh each religion as kind of like a code base yeah. i'm a programmer so these are the terms sure. i tend to yeah. think in if you think about it in terms of a code base there are some uh, aspects or components of that code base which do still fit the modern uh, UI or the modern hardware that they're they're instantiated within. But there are some parts of that code base that might be like legacy code that need to be replaced. Do you, on on the spectrum of um, rejectionists to reconciliationists, where exactly do you sit? And what what I mean by that is, Rejectionists being like very closed off to change, keeping sure. things exactly the way they are. Yeah. Reconciliationists sort of uh, pandering to modernity mm. and and changing sure. things to, to
1: be more relevant. Where so there? I'm hesitant to kind of comment about, you know, my analysis or suggestions to other religious traditions because, you know, I'm, I'm not a member of another religious mm-hmm. tradition and I, I, I wouldn't feel... Um, that i was doing justice by, sure. by doing Sorry, so i but, should have been clear no I was talking no about Judaism absolutely purposes. no no i imagine so but, yeah. I, but i but i but i but i do think you know um i i can respect um other traditions without equivocation and i think that you know there isn't a religious tradition that exists certainly not a a, a mainstream ongoing one that hasn't had positive influences and doesn't have elements of its contemporary observance that I think are incredibly admirable. And I think that, you know, um, religion in general, without specifics, for many people, for an enormous number of people today and and throughout the past, and I believe into the future, is a extremely significant source of meaning, of identity, of purpose, of community, um, of comfort, of literal assistance through charity and, and communal support. Um, And again, I think that, you know, we've had a tendency to view negatives which are very real and, you know, deserved to be addressed absolutely and may well have been in contrast to the very essence of the tradition or religious faith that um, facilitated their, their outcome. But we've lost something so huge by doing so. There's something enormous that's been lost. And a key example that I'll give, I've, I've heard people complain very often um, about not having a third space. The people have their homes where they live, they have where they work, and there's nowhere in between. And you know, there's almost nowhere left today that one can go without having to spend money. You know, mm-hmm. Public libraries, people obviously, it was like the only example. Everyone else you have to go and spend money. And that's, that's that to me, that's, a, that's, a, that's a horribly dystopian. What a horrible, horrible context in which to live. It's not a context I can I can I can share because I don't live like that. You know, it, it, we have a, you know fifty thousand on Jews in in Melbourne. It's not a it's not a enormous number of people relative to the population. We have so many synagogues and communal institutions that I find myself constantly attending in various places, never taking my wallet out of my pocket, and. Um, I just don't feel that way at all. I, I feel like I, I constantly have third places. I have mm-hmm. third, fourth, fifth, sixth, many places. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that, um, yeah, there is a model there for something that, that's lost. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I do think that one of Judaism's strengths and one of the reasons why Judaism um, has existed across so many contexts for so long that it's almost unbelievable. That that it's done so is Judaism's incredibly sophisticated ability to dance between adaptation and and, and continuity Um, and that particularly you know I'm an Orthodox Jew and again I'm not going to speak for for people who 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 share other perspectives Um, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be right but I think that you know Orthodox Judaism in particular is able to do that and that you know there are elements of how I live my life that are of course distinct from other observant Jews throughout history but I also know that I could walk into a synagogue today in uh, 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 Tel Aviv, in London, in California, Mexico City, in um, Japan, an Orthodox synagogue, and I can participate absolutely without equivocation in our, our, our Jewish traditions in our worship, in our service, in our prayer in our life um, we have a common language which is Hebrew for prayer even as most Jews throughout the diaspora were not speaking Hebrew that was that was maintained um, but I can also do so in third century Yemen and I could have gone to um, Islamic Sp- medieval Islamic Spain and gone to a synagogue and I could have you know, every single one of these and the same would apply. That is unbelievable. To me, that is, you know, and, and whilst, of course, at every single one of those stages, there would have been people who would have said, oh, let's just change it. Let's just make the prayer book in English. Let's just do whatever. The genius was the ability to resist that urge and to maintain it whilst allowing things that could adapt and that should adapt to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, and And again, you know, every community at every stage, every person is going to be more inclined towards one direction rather than the other. And there certainly has been variety. And today there certainly is. There are Jewish communities throughout the world um, that fall upon a whole spectrum of more and less modern, more and less conservative. Um, but still, but still, even within that, I would say within you know the Orthodox world, that still applies, even across that spectrum even across the spectrum that we have like that here here in melbourne which which is very very broad very very broad um and i i I think that's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. i think it's a beautiful thing yeah and i think that um something some i I once had a work colleague who was a bit younger than me and 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 and, um, probably saw the world differently to me inherently irrespective of that when we're speaking about i can't even remember what the matter was and um they said but why don't we just change things? Because like you can just change things, they can become better. And it's like, sure, you're right, and certainly we should be changing things all the time because because things change. But the premise that change is always for the good is madness. It's absolute madness. That's not the case at all. At all, there are changes for the good. <laughs> Equally, there are changes that are enormously for the worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, you look, I look at a society like Australia and um, like all societies, Australia has an infinite number of issues that should be addressed. And we have great, um, anyone with, with, with a heart and a brain would be concerned about so many things, even if their concern is only self-interest. Because I said to you that one of the key elements of a society's strength is social cohesion. That even if you you are a complete sociopath, who has absolutely no regard for others, which I which I do not recommend or, or think is what one should aspire to. Our society only works because a majority of the society accepts the rules of the game, right? And people will only accept that when they feel that maintaining the system is more to their benefit than seeing it crumble, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think we should care about each other because we should care about each other. But if someone can't, for whatever reason, bring themselves to that point, then care about others just because you can't exist without them. you're You're not in isolation. We never are. So, you know, again, what one might say is, well, there are all these problems, and these problems are very real, and they are completely unacceptable which may well very well be the case therefore dismantle the entire system and i would say that some wise. because with all of the flaws that our society has and all the things that might in the short term be getting worse rather than getting better i can't think of many contexts within which a human being has ever lived that are on a, on a scale the size of a country like Australia that are as fair as presenting of opportunities for as many people have um, the opportunities for expression, representation um, and a living standard um, that Australia represents so I'm not sure that there's an alternative that's immediately obvious is better mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I don't think that we have you know, inequalities within our society which are unacceptable. I, I do, I, fun, I, I I inherently do. But my analysis today would be, the system that exists is far more capable of attempting to address those inequalities and attempting to address those things than any other system I can think of. Yeah. Um, and so what I would say is, yes, go for the change, but as long as Someone wants present an alternative, sure, I'm very keen to hear it. But until I'm convinced of that, which I seems to be unlikely, then surely this system is use it, use it. do not do not pull it down because I assure you, if you pull it down, the historical uh, 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 paradigm that's most likely is not an utopia replacing it, but nefarious individuals, free of the constraints that our system provides, exploiting people in a way, That is, infinitely worse. Mm -hmm. Infinitely worse. Mm -hmm. Again, that by no means suggests that there aren't things that concern me, and there aren't things that I think need to be addressed with urgency and with absolute sincerity, commitment, and sacrifice. I do, Mm -hmm. I do. But yeah, that was yeah, yeah, beautifully said. (laughs) Really beautifully
0: beautifully said. said, Yeah, Yeah, I I like that perspective of of having a sense of history informing the fact that you know things as the way they are is actually quite good
1: yeah. and uh, yeah. change isn't necessarily what we yeah. want to strive for. Yeah. Even um, if that means that there are individuals or groups of people for whom it is nowhere near as good as it is for others, mm-hmm. which is an inherent problem yeah. that exists in all societies, but any ethical, moral person should want to address. Yeah. Um, at the very least, everybody should have a, a as equal a possible opportunity to benefit from what our society has to offer. Mm -hmm. That there should not be structural impediments to people by virtue of whatever circumstance they're presented with through no fault of their own, um, preventing that. That, 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 That's a a constant flaw in in humanity that I think um, addressing actually to to, to, to my mind is the essence of what Judaism is. Mm -hmm. To be the essence of Judaism is the recognition of that tendency and the commitment to addressing it. I want to talk about uh, the Melbourne Jewish
0: community. Sure. Specifically, um, segueing from the previous um, topic we were talking about, which was about uh, how classical religion, you know, does actually still have a place within modern society. I mean, I do see um, issues with classical religion, obviously, at a communal level. Sure. And one of the issues I see... Um, I've had conversations with lots of people in the yeah. Melbourne Jewish community about this. And I think it probably also um, applies to other minority communities yeah. embedded within a broader society, which is that of clickiness. Sure. Um, in Australia, in Melbourne, in the Jewish community, there are bubbles within bubbles. Absolutely. There are, yeah. Different schools, different yeah. shuls, yeah. people living in different suburbs, yeah. and people don't interact with each other yeah. at all. With all of that said, yeah. to play devil's advocate, I heard a really interesting perspective recently, which was um, if you look at Judaism and the sects within Judaism from an evolutionary lens, you can kind of think of each one as having its own survival strategy. Yeah. Um, think about uh, Haredim, like ultra-Orthodox yeah. Jews. They completely reject modern technology. And if you think about it, it might not necessarily be the craziest thing in terms of maybe they're going to be yeah. the ones laughing in twenty thirty years time when all of the concerns we have now about the harm yeah. of social media. Well. I have a friend who's doing a PhD on screen addiction. Yeah, All of these negative things come to fruition. Yeah. They could actually be the ones laughing. Yeah. So all of these different sects that don't interact with each other very strongly, they don't really cross pollinate. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's maybe that's an adaptive thing on like a Judaism as a religion level so I wonder yeah in terms of in terms of that lens um, do you think it's a necessarily a bad thing that we're not as interconnected within the community as we could be or do you think it's harmful that um, there are people that fall through the cracks and there are people that get disillusioned by the narrow worldview that they're
1: exposed to Um, yeah do you have any perspective on that so a few things one i i think i just want to clarify what you mean i I think i think we're on the same page but i just Mm -hmm. want to make sure in terms of technology in the Haredi world i think um i I don't think there's a whole scale rejection i think there's a very selective use sure sure like the kosher phone for instance exactly yeah Yeah, i think you know there aren't many Haredi communities that don't um have access to the technologies we have they might limit it and they might. Adapted and yeah, have apps on you know to restrict use of phone, or maybe they won't have a mobile phone but their smartphone, they'll have a, a, a you know, a, what are they, a dumb phone, an analog yeah. phone, <laughs> yeah. um, whatever it might be. So, and there's a whole spectrum within that, right? There's a whole so, um, that's very interesting in of itself. And I, and I think, you know, yeah, it's quite funny that you know, I think not that long ago, you know, you'd hear somebody say 10, 20 years ago, I don't have a television in my home, do you think they're mad. And now you have um, some of the leading people in, in the tech world who'd say they would never give their children a, a, a smartphone or access to social media. So yeah, who knows, right? We, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's everything has, 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 has both sides. Um, but I think that in terms of the Melbourne Jewish community, of course, there are cliques. Of course, there are bubbles and bubbles within bubbles, emphatically the case. I do think, however, again, that relative to many communities, I don't know them all, so I can't can't say absolutely, I do think there is some fluidity between that. And I do think that you'll find that um, whether it's um, economic, geographic, level of observance, whatever it might be, friendship groups, there is still fluidity between the Jewish world to varying degrees within Mm -hmm. the community. And I think that when that fluidity occurs is sometimes when we are at our most beautiful as a community, I, I feel that very strongly. And I'm somebody who throughout my life, um, without necessarily getting into the nuances of all the names of schools, and whatever, I've kind of always found myself flowing between worlds in a sense, in a way that probably is relatively rare, the extent and to which I do that. Um, and I think that part of that is circumstance, but I think certainly part of that also is a sense in my a personal sense of mind that that at the end of the day, we are one community. Um, and that um, I personally don't feel that any one bubble is sufficient f- for me, um, and I'd say it's probably not, <laughs> this is difficult to make a call like this for somebody else, probably not at the end of the day sufficient for, for any one individual member of any one individual bubble either. And if they really knew what they could Gain from others, they, they they would they would probably be desirous of that too. I, I believe that maybe that's naive. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I think you know I I um, I don't want to I don't want to make myself sound um. Admirable in a way that I don't deserve, but I but I I do find myself consistently drawn to the underdog, let's say, and I think that there are certainly people who fall through the cracks, and in a community that is rich. And has an incredible array of institutions that are wonderful—schools, um, communal in- bodies, uh, uh, synagogues—exceptional, um, and and they do exceptional things. Um, often, often, they cater for um, who's already being served, which is logical and fair enough. And often, as a community, we cater for the top. We, we, we look at um, who we offer what we often perceive as the best in terms of aesthetics, resources, whatnot. And that's kind of the gold standard. And I get that people like nice things and I sort of fun, like you know, we're all human that, that, that I'm, not, I'm not here to criticize people. But when you do that, you by necessity, Forget those for whom that's that's just completely unrealistic and completely unattainable, and the reality is that um, whilst there are members of the Melbourne Jewish community that are of course um, uh, um, very comfortable and, and, and you know in a high socioeconomic bracket, um, there is the entire range of the broader community within the Melbourne Jewish community uh, from a financial perspective from a um, support perspective, from a well-being perspective. And there are so many people who can't or won't access the things those institutions have to offer that people who are enmeshed in those bubbles just aren't, aren't even aware of, have no awareness of whatsoever. And to me, that's an absolute tragedy. That's, a, that, that, that's, that's not, to me, what ideally a community should be about a community is about all of its members whoever and wherever they are and you know we can't say we are a community that has solidarity and we care about each other except for the 20% that we never see except for the whatever it might be that 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 that, that doesn't hold water um and so um i i really do believe it's a, it's a grave concern and I believe that in a broader context to touch what we spoke earlier of people's lives in some ways becoming harder across the whole country and whole society, that same phenomenon, of course, is occurring within the Jewish community, where there have always been people within the Jewish community that have not been in a position to engage as, as much as others for whatever reason. And I think that the the virtue and value of a community, again, tying into the inherent fundamental values of Judaism, that same God who throughout the, the, the Jewish Bible says, don't bring me a sacrifice until you've heard the cry of those you're ignoring. Beautiful buildings, incredible institutions, great successes in all kinds of fields. None of that's a bad thing. But has the cry been heard? I'm not sure it always has. I'd say probably quite confidently, it hasn't. Um, and again, you know, buildings crumble and go. Even in Melbourne, a Jewish community that's not that old, some of our most beautiful communal structures are almost abandoned because the mm-hmm. community's moved or whatever mm-hmm. you know has happened. Mm-hmm. So what? What do they do for us? What, what? So every now and then you might be aware of their existence and think that's nice. Um, until they're sold off and and, and and become apartments right like it's 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 um, I don't know that that's the measure of our success you know we have an incredible community event a, a, a kiddish a, a function you know with the with the most beautiful catered food sure that's great that's the, what is what is the what is the eternal um, benefit of that what 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 is the real meaning with that whereas if we focus ourselves primarily on saying do we have institutions that any Jew who is desirous of being involved in it can for whatever reason again that about that, that, that issue of equality of opportunity that I spoke about earlier that everybody has the access to which they desire and people who don't even know where to start has a hand been reached out to them? to me, that's the most important starting point. I know I'm sounding very moralistic, and <laughs> it's very easy to say that. Yeah. And um, you know, plenty of people are doing incredible work in so many places, and I don't want to diminish that. Um, but if I was sitting here as I guess I am, and being asked, you know what, what, what matters right now? Where is the direst need?" to me, that's really, really clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
0: Yeah, it seems to me also that um, there's a bit of a leakage that's going on in the sense of uh, a lot of people, even my age younger, who just never throughout their schooling received any appreciation or sense of wonder or an experience of God or anything like that. That's definitely something I experienced when I I, I went to a Jewish school, a college, and um, for me it was uh, learning the Torah, learning halacha, Jewish law. Other Jewish studies, and it just felt like a rote learning exercise. Yeah. They just it was kind of empty yeah. for me at least. Some other people may have got it, and naturally it kind of caused me when I was a teenager sure. to uh, leave the fold. Sure, I became an atheist, and only um, recently am I coming to an appreciation of things, and I wonder if that can be changed at all. Yeah, if it's even possible to change that. Or is it something that is a process of life experience, emotional maturity, in terms of getting that appreciation of, of, um, of Judaism or yeah. whatever religion? Um, and also, yeah, a conception of God and an experience of God. Um, is that, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, that, is that something that we can
1: distill and mm. provide to children? I don't know. So first of all, I, I reject the premise that you've left the fold. In the yeah. fold is wherever you are. Mm-hmm. You, you, you are the you are the, 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 the So I meant more uh, inter- intellectually or philosophically.
0: I sure, but, but physically, yeah. I'm definitely still no field. for yeah. sure. But I would say
1: yeah. that, that, that I reject even that premise. Okay, not to reject your, yourself in <laughs> any, but I would say <laughs> the that no, no, you know what, what? What are we as as Jews? We we are the we are we are us, mm-hmm. and so the fold of where and what Judaism is is where and what the Jews are. Mm-hmm. And you and every other Jew is what constitutes that entity. And so if you felt for whatever reason and that that that, that you've Desired, or been forced, or by circumstance, or necessity, whatever it might be, to be in a place where you felt on the other side of a fold. I would say that's an error of perception rather than a reality, mm-hmm. and that a first of all, yes, others should always be desirous to bring you within their fold as well. But also, you are not separable from this from this thing. You are this thing, mm-hmm. and you are this thing with. Absolute equivalence to any individual, other individual member. There is no th- 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 there is no Jewish world without you. It, it, it can't be. you, you define it um so that's something i think is it's not to reject your your, your, your <laughs> perception but <laughs> it's just to bring my own my own yeah my own perception there yeah. and i think that's i'm coming what, to that it's a yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a frame that you only achieve once you kind of yeah, yeah. level up so to yeah speak, but even even know. if you know there was time in your life and you didn't see it like that that doesn't mean it wasn't that mm-hmm. and even if others don't see it like that that's their error that's not that's not an objective observation in my opinion mm-hmm. i also think that um that makes me very sad that you said you didn't Get that experience of wonder. And I think that every child in the world deserves that. Learning should be an experience, should be fundamentally, inherently an experience of wonder. Mm. And whilst, like anything worthwhile in life, it's going to have challenges as part of it, and an education that isn't challenging is not an education, it should still be fundamentally filled with wonder, with meaning, with purpose, with joy. It, it, It must be. It must be. I believe that very unequivocally. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yes, I think that in all kinds of ways, um, we, we we fail children and always have um, and fail in ways that we didn't fail them in the past and um, compensate for ways that they were failed in the past. It's a constant, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, listen, I've, I've had my career as an educator and as a teacher and... Uh, you know, ongoing, and um, I, I, I love that profession, and I love what it means when it works and when I feel like it's done right. And mm-hmm. um, like every other person, teacher, or every human, I'm flawed, and I don't always do it right. But when you do, you know, you know, and you see, and. I can't, you know, I have five children of my own and I have my, my wife and my family and you know, that is my primary source of meaning and and identity and purpose. But other than that, put that, uh, uh, um, the feeling of having a child or a young adult express to you that you have been a positive influence in their lives. Which I'm saying every child I've ever taught has, has, has shared that with me, but I but I have had that shared with me, as I believe you know. I hope most teachers have. You there's not, there's there there is nothing like that. There mm. is nothing like that, and it, it is humbling, and I at least consistently feel you know my immediate truth was always oh my I, I, I didn't do nearly enough, you know like I, it, it, but a sense that a child is. So fundamentally vulnerable in so many ways and there are no shortage of avenues to harm a child and when you harm a child you harm an adult and you harm another generation and you harm like this there's, there's no shortage of that by contrast the ability to do good for a child is infinite in its impact. Mm. And it's not an easy thing to do by any means. It is a very difficult thing to do. And it is, um, it's it's not always obvious how to do that. But I think that there are two fundamental attributes all good teachers have. One is, I'd say three actually in process. <laughs> One is an absolute commitment to the children you're teaching. It, 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 sure, teaching is a job, of course, you know, but it's not just a job. It's no, by no means just a job. The job is secondary. It is the life of human beings that you have in your hand. And you need to understand that and be aware of that and care about that. That's one two is because you can still care about that but do bad things right you out second is a willingness to learn yourself and to grow mm-hmm. because like I said just because you care doesn't mean you will act in, in in best practice humility you need, you need to you have humility and you need to know that again like I said within in some linear country same thing a teacher same thing applies no one has all the answers and so you need to seek answers from everyone you need to seek from the children you're teaching you need to ask them constantly all the time am I giving you what you need Mm -hmm. and to have a relationship with them that will allow them to speak to you honestly and genuinely that doesn't mean you need to accept everything they say uh, uh, verbatim and at face value but you have to have a willingness to listen and have a willingness to dialogue that's the second and the third is a passion about what you're teaching and and, and and kids immediately know when their when their teacher isn't passionate, yes, and immediately yes, know when they do. Yeah. And I think that you know, if I can distill down to those three things, even as I was saying it, I was kind of questioning myself. But I think if you distill to those three, for the most part, you'll be okay. Yeah. And for the most part, the children you care will be okay. Um, but geez, it's 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 like w- w- where are the stakes higher? Right? Yeah. Where are they higher? Yeah. And I would say that, you know, if you think about yourself and you think back into your own past, I would say almost certainly for every human being, childhood experiences are the dominant prisms which you see the world throughout your whole life. You always come back to them in a way that you don't come back to experiences in your 20s and 30s. They can still live, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. And I think that part of that is that inherent vulnerability. Of course, a child and a great part of education is building an an agent, building a human being that has the ability and the power and the desire to be a positive influence on their own life and the life of others. But that has to be built. And children are, as I said, inherently vulnerable. And the, the world... Moves them and impacts them and shakes them in ways that the younger they are, the less control they have. And so that world has to be positive. That has to be positive. And the people in it have to like you You can't ignore the, the significance of that. Um, and so again, you know, I don't know necessarily any of your individual teachers and I and I, you know, I can't have you to comment on specifics, but I, I think that um, throughout the Jewish world and non-Jewish world, it doesn't matter, everywhere, as societies, as 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 as, as humanity, that has to be one of our primary concerns, always, always, always is that next generation. And again, you know, I, I know this is difficult, what I'm going to raise now, and it raises difficulties for so many people, and I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I, I want to make that fundamentally clear. Um, and that I recognize that there are No shortage of reasons why individuals don't have children, shouldn't have children, can't have children. Of course there are. And and each case is individual and deserves absolute sympathy and no presumptions because you don't know anyone's circumstance. But if, as a society as a whole, the raising of a subsequent generation is not our primary concern. We are untethered we are intended and for many people that will be their individual children for some people for whatever reason it won't be right th- that's still significant of course we ha- if we you know every society that improves improves because of that concern for the future and th- and that you know it's 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 that old adage of you know the, the individual that plants the trees whose fruit they will never eat and that's what we do all the time, all the time, everything that we do. And again, I'm afraid that while so much of that impetus has been diminished, not everywhere, but, 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 but amongst many. Of course, people can still care about people in the future. And of course, there are extraordinary people who can care as much as anyone ever has. But surely surely there is an extent to which that dynamic changes. Could there not, how could there not be? How could there not be? And one just very concrete example, again, there are plenty of people that have children who don't care about the future, people who don't, sure, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about everyone, right? Would one not imagine that when one is putting a ballot in the ballot box and there is someone saying, we cannot increase our debt a national debt because it is unfair to pass on debt that will be applied to unborn people for individuals today without the deepest consideration and need and somebody saying you'll never have to pay it off. Don't you want X, Y, Z? All oh, Those X, Y, Z might always be valid. Of course, they always are, right? There's always, but that's a different dynamic. That's a different dynamic. And again, I'm not here to judge or hurt anyone. And this is such a nuanced topic that involves deep levels of pain and concern for many. And I'm not, that's not the point that I'm trying to make here. I'm not judging or criticizing anyone. Not at all. And mm-hmm. I hope it doesn't come across as that. What I'm saying is that, it, that you know, human societies for the most part have been societies that have had very concrete, collective um, uh, 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 you know commitments to the future, because of very tangible realities: children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, commu- the community's children, the neighborhood's children, whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. And but when we have, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, remember the sticks off by heart. But I think it might even be the case that the average household in Australia today does not include children. Does not include children. That's not in to Australia. That is a different society. That's a different society. And I can't imagine it's a society that will act in the same way. Mm. So, and that it's a society that will have as much of a commitment to the future as would otherwise be the case. And everything positive that we have right now, everything we have right now, for the most part, is a consequence of the commitment to the future that people in the past who had less than us made yeah yeah that's 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 you know um you know it, it's people who did face those constant threats of starvation that you know Australia's a more recent country but even so oh sorry not, the, the 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 contemporary infrastructure let's say that we have in australia is generally newer than in some other parts of the world if people hadn't done that then those things just wouldn't, 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 wouldn't be there. And not just talking about physical infrastructure, but I'm talking, of course, about every level of what it means to be human in our societies, um, from every culture and society that exists on Earth. And, 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 and again, you spoke about that precipitous collapse that societies might face. Um, that happens for different reasons across different times. But again, I would imagine that a society that sees itself as less or less consistently connected tangibly to the future is going to be less well-placed to weather those storms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, again, I'm I, 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 I happy to be proven otherwise. It's hard for me to imagine that's not for the most part a reality. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And as the father of five children, that concerns me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that... What you've everything you've just said segues
0: quite nicely into yeah. what I want to ask next, and and I guess what I want to end on as well, sure. which is um, for me in the last few years, the desire to have kids has crept up. Sure. Just yeah. seemingly just yeah. I don't know yeah. before I knew it it was something yeah. I wanted, and I think a huge part of that was um, just witnessing my three older siblings they they all they've all blocked yeah. out kids now, yeah. and um, the well. The one part of it is that seeing how that's transformed them as people. Absolutely, yeah. My older sister said this amazing line that um, everything she thought that was important beforehand just pales in comparison yeah. to what's important yeah. now. So that that's just testament to that yeah. transformation that they've gone through. So that's one thing. But then the second thing is actually interacting with my nieces and nephews yeah. and just witnessing yeah. each of them as like these individual flowers yeah. blossom. <clears throat> and like the ingenuity and the wit yeah. and the way that they surprise yeah. you. Um, and I had this conception of love being that it's something that potentially gets spread thin over time. The more yeah. you have to like doll it out to people, yeah. but that is so not no, true, no. completely untrue. No. It does not work that way. At it only all. grows. It's just infinite. Yeah, exactly. It, it only, only grows. grows. Um, so I think that's a big part of what's oriented me now towards yeah. the wanting to have kids, the importance of it. Um, and the point you mentioned a bit on the on the civilizational level yeah. the importance of having kids as well is, is a massive massive thing um a lot of my peers don't seem to share yeah. that same uh, orientation yes and i actually think it might even be related to a a more broader phenomenon which is that young people today have a kind of fear of commitment yeah um so you, as a parent of yeah. five kids, can you convey how significant it is yeah. to to become a parent, start yeah. a family? And also, can you convey the importance of doing big, scary things in life yeah. and transforming as a result?
1: Yeah.
0: Enable us to, like, peer over the wall,
1: Yeah, you know, on the Absolutely. other side. Yeah. I, think, yeah, I think you made some really powerful points. And I think that, um, firstly, going back to what I said earlier about, you know, even if you, even if it's for selfish reasons, care about others. I think one of the great struggles that um, much of the world is facing right now, is of course, a sense that for the first time in a long time, living standards are going down, not up, and that generations are becoming less prosperous than before. That's not the same everywhere. And there's nuance there. But that's generally a perception in the developed world that that exists. Um, And part of that is, of course, People want to replicate what they saw through their own childhood or the positives of their own childhood mm-hmm. if they were to consider building a family and having children of their own. And people who say, for example, um, which which is a fundamental reality, a far smaller percentage of the population can ever hope to, let's say, attain the stability of home ownership, let alone the economic stability that would facilitate long-term relationship marriage etc yeah that's a problem and again you know if if one's only selfish one would say well if that happens there will be less children and there will be this is a horrible way to view the world again i don't recommend this i don't view the world this way but if this will convince someone that at least let it be this who will pay the taxes in the future that will support their retirement <laughs> um you know that, that that that's real yeah in addition um Again, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are people who more than anything in the world want to have children and can't, and haven't. And I'm conscious of how significant that is, and how much compassion and understanding people in that circumstance require. So I, I really do want to reiterate that. But at the same time, I will say, something that I've thought about throughout my life is, is it, who are my primary concerns? Is, is if, I, if, if I had to make a distinction, let's say, my wife or my children, where does my thing lie? And um, and I used to think, I used to think, sure, of course, it's your children, for your spouse. And actually, the act of having children has actually changed it for me to say it's my wife, which, which might sound strange, mm. but explain what I mean. I can't think of anything that comes anywhere near... My experience of having children—it it is the defining factor of my life. I have, raising children is difficult. Raising five children in the same climate that we've said people face all these difficulties—I'm no no by no means immune to that—is is of course difficult, and comes with sacrifices of all different types every day. But like your sister said, the sacrifices become. It becomes meaning i I don't, I don't care about those things anymore I, do, I just fundamentally don't and i I just can't I can't fathom a reality without my children and my relationship to them is is what I am that is me in and, and with all of the difficulties that come like I can't conceive of a a, a a purpose in waking up each day, other than overcoming those challenges, for my children. I I don't I don't have any other vision in my life, um, and it's just you know, and 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 like everyone, I've had so m- I've, I have all the time challenges like, unique challenges, common challenges, all kinds of things, and heartache every night when I go to sleep about about different things with my children, but but like. I have children. <laughs> I I I have five human beings, whom I am their father. I am their only father. And that is terrifying. And that is. That's that's the best thing ever. Like what, 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 what is there more than that? What, what possible? Pursuit could I ever have in my life that would be more than being somebody's father? What could possibly be in the same universe? I I, I Don't know And so I said about my wife that that that's kind of what What I mean by that is that through my process of having those children I've seen we have a concept in Judaism when a couple is married of a chuppah, of a wedding canopy that you you get married under and it's symbolic of the home that the couple build and we say a binyan adeyad, an eternal building, an eternal edifice that you're creating and I think that the the physical we sometimes imagine that the physical symbology of the chuppah or of the house is what we're referring to even symbolically and I would say that's completely inaccurate that eternal edifice, that eternal house, that eternal home, that eternal building is that family, is the family. And the vehicle for my construction of that family in a, in, in, in a fundamentally spiritual sense is the new entity that is created by me and my wife. That we come together as something Incomparable to the sum of our parts, we come as two flawed, fallible human beings and we come together and we are life. We are the only, the only vehicle, entity for the creation of life. I don't know that I even conceive anywhere near enough what that means. What's that means? That through our love for each other, my wife and I you know we speak about people speak about you know mother, mother earth and you, we are that. We become that. For that for that moment and we have this family, we have these children are more important to me than anything in the world who are the physical testament to what coming together my wife and I means and so I've been incredibly fortunate that I I, I have an incredible relationship with my wife and and I really do view her and see her that way and that is you know life is complicated in so many ways and I know that, you know, again, I don't want to cause hurt to people who don't feel that they have that. And I hope that anyone who doesn't feel that they have that does ultimately have that. And anyone who's had that and lost it can be sustained by the knowledge that that is eternal, even when the other person is gone, even when both are gone physically, that that's what it means, that it is that that what is created there never goes away, that always exists. And I just... I just, I just, again, I just don't know, other than these things, what is more powerful. And I know that, you know, there is a potential to cause people harm by speaking about children and partnership that people will never have or don't have or feel that they've lost. And I don't want to cause people pain in that regard. And I know that, you know, there's this perception that the imposition of this idea of the nuclear family is, you know, hurtful to people for whom that's not, um, fitting in many other ways and, and, and all of that's fair enough and all of that deserves to be understood and appreciated and, 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 and considered, but it doesn't change the fact of what that means. It doesn't dilute from what that means. And again, I think that as, 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 as a community, as a humanity, If we lose sight of what that means, if we get to a position where we don't say this exists, but we must be infinitely tolerant and considerate of people for whom that's, who are outside of that prism, that's fair. If we say, well, that doesn't apply to everybody and not everybody has that, wants that, whatever, therefore that is meaningless. My goodness, like, I, I think that is a grave error. I think that is a grave error. It doesn't mean that there aren't other elements of life and the human experience that aren't important. Of course there are. But that is still something distinct. That is distinct and it is literally life. It's literally life. And I just think it it, it needs to be understood as such, Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's been an honor to talk to you today. It's been mine. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much.